Halfway through the grueling 500-mile El Camino de Santiago trek, which winds its way through mountains, forests, and endless fields, and where towns are a day apart at best, a former Brat Pack member and famous actor falls to his knees and starts crying uncontrollably. He has a total meltdown. But it's a turning point for Andrew McCarthy, who would go on to travel the world for a living and become an award-winning writer and critically acclaimed novelist. You, I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Stuck even deeper. Is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week, I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators—people who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it. I was really seeing the colors very distinctly and brightly, and I was hearing acutely, and I was like, you know, I'm very present right now. And then I got this sensation that I realized what it was that I'd forgotten what I wasn't carrying that morning was this sense of fear that I'd always inhabited my whole life. If you remember the 80s, then Andrew McCarthy needs no introduction. He's a famous actor, appearing in iconic movies like Pretty in Pink and St. Elmo's Fire. He's also a well-respected director, having worked on series including Orange is the New Black for Netflix and The Blacklist and The Enemy Within for NBC. What might surprise many people is that Andrew McCarthy is also an award-winning travel writer, and his first novel, A Coming-of-Age Story, landed him on the New York Times bestseller list. He's definitely a ticket-before-you-kick-it kind of guy, who faces his fears head-on constantly taking on new challenges and reinventing himself while staying true to his passion. Andrew's work with National Geographic Traveler magazine takes him all over the world. And I caught up with Andrew recently after he'd just stepped off a long flight from Budapest. He was in desperate need of a good pick-me-up. So the conversation quickly turned to what makes the perfect cup of tea. And Andrew should know. After all, he's been all over the world. I was mentioning your, your tea, Andrew. What, what kind of tea are you drinking? This is just a uh, Japanese sencha tea, okay. green tea. And the reason I drink that is because I drink many different teas, but I, I became a tea snob. I did a travel story about tea. Uh, I went to Darjeeling to do a uh, story looking for the perfect cup of tea a number of years ago for a magazine, and I learned all about tea, and so I became a tea snob. What do we not know about tea that we should know about tea? Tea's fascinating, actually. Um, this most simple thing that I had no idea was that, uh, you know, because all these different teas, green tea, black tea, white tea, they all come from the same tea leaf. It's all how it's processed. There's oh, only one right? tea leaf, yeah. And so they all start the same. Tea estates are like these fiefdoms. They're like these worlds unto themselves because they're like indentured servants. These women have the basket on the back and for 12 hours a day, they're picking leaves, dropping them in the basket. And they're totally taken care of from soup to nuts. Their entire health care, their housing, everything is taken care of by the sort of lord and master of the tea estate. And, and yet they're sort of indentured because they can't leave because they don't make enough to go out into the world. And yet they want to be there because all their family is taken care of and everyone is for life taken care of. Even when you're old and stop working, they don't kick you out because your family's there and you're part of the community. And so it's a double-edged sort of the golden cage. But they all treat the sort of tea, the head of the tea estate as this lord and master. I just thought, oh, it was a fascinating microculture that I had no idea about when I went. And the, the, the This tea, is in Darjeeling. I don't know how it's done in other places. Yeah, I, we, we were there for Amazing Race. and, and uh, It's a cool place, isn't it's it? It's yeah. so amazing to see just these rolling hills of these beautiful tea plants. And 
um, the way that they cut the leaves where they have this sort of pickup basket and then they you clip it and it folds down into a into a little basket yeah I never drank any tea, caffeine at all until I met my wife, who was Irish, years ago, and got me addicted to tea. She likes Irish tea. Well, she likes Irish. She drinks the dregs, Irish tea. But yeah, but they, you know, because they come from that English culture. Of, right. You know. I, I think what's really fascinating about digging into your history is, of course, everybody knows you because you're, you've been captured on film and you're going to be forever captured on film. But you're doing a lot of directing. Just talk about that because that's that's something that you're obviously really passionate about now. You've been able to use all those skills from from when you were younger? Yeah, I mean, that's a longish kind of story, but it, it, yes, I do a lot of television directing now, and, um, which I like, I like a lot. I mean, as I got old, I think I was never in a certain way cut out to be, you know, I became very successful very quickly and became very public very quickly when I was young, and I, my personality type is probably not uh, suited for that. Right. I didn't like being out front like that, and I found it sh shocking, and uh, I felt very exposed and vulnerable and I had no idea how to handle it and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think my personality type was really suited to be, I wanted to be an actor when I was young. Cause I, I went on, you know, when I was 15 years old, I was in a play in high school and I walked out on stage and I suddenly felt like me for the first time, you know, it's like, I went, Oh, there I am. You know, Tennessee Williams has this line about a room that had always been half in shadow was suddenly in the light. That's how I felt about myself. The first time I walked on stage when I was 15 in a high school play, I was like, oh my God. The whole, my, my life just sort of came into, there I am. And so I said, I'm doing that. And, and so was, I went and did that. What was it about that? What was the thing that you got when you stood there and you were in that? I don't know. I just felt like me. I felt comfortable in my skin. Mm -hmm. I felt like this is where I, I just, my wife is Irish, like I said to you earlier, and, and it's, she has all these great sayings. And one of them is, I felt like myself from the toes up. You know, I walked out on stage as the Artful Dodger and <laughs> Oliver, and I felt like myself from the toes up. And I had no idea that would happen to me. I just was out there. And it wasn't the applause and the laugh. It was just, I'm like, this is where I, I fit. I can do this. This is where I fit. Yeah. It wasn't even whether I could do it or not do it. It was just like, I feel like me in a way that I've never felt like me. So I wanted to pursue that. Yeah. And, uh, but that said, as I became very successful very quickly through good fortune, I, 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 wasn't well suited to that, I don't think, in a certain way. The, the, maybe the stuff off the stage, the stuff that came with the Yeah, people coming in. Fame is a weird thing. And yeah. fame, had, and I, I've, I've said many times, I wouldn't wish fame on anyone under 30. And why you know? is that? What, what? Well, you don't know who you are when you're in your early 20s. And yeah. You have people coming at you and sort of, you're suddenly never private. And all the things that people say about fame. And it has wonderful aspects to it. And, and it, it's, you know, I don't know what, who I would be now had that not happened to me. Mm. It's, it altered the trajectory of my life in a very real way. I think fame alters people, as you know, on a, on a cellular level. It changes how you are in, in the world. It changes your sense of privacy about yourself. It changes everything, your self-awareness, the third eye that's always, you're always watching yourself with, all that stuff. And I didn't particularly like it. I, didn't not, I just was ill-equipped to handle it in a certain way, temperamentally. Um, and so I withdrew from it. You know, so as I continue, but I wanted to keep doing what I do. And I love telling stories in that way, I guess, is the simplest. So I, and I knew a lot. I'd been on so many sets and worked with so many directors. It seemed a natural segue to just sort of go into directing where I am a bit behind. And yet still, it suits my ego because it's very singular. There's only one of them on the set yeah. and everyone looks to you in that way. And yet... I could, I'm, it's like I'm laying brick. I am applying a skill as opposed to being the thing. And so I like that. 
if that makes any sense. No, it makes it makes and perfect so, you sense. Know, and people ask me often what the difference is. I say acting causes anxiety and directing is stressful, but that's different. <laughs> They're different things. Yeah. You know? Uh, so anyway, I, yes, I fell into directing. <laughs> I didn't really fall into it. I actively wanted to do it and sort of, you know, pursued it. When you work with a director, different types of directors, you take all of that and and then you apply it into your own life and then you suddenly realize you're the guy in charge you're the one making the well yeah the first day when you walk out and you go okay guys we're going to be over here and everybody goes over there you're like really this is amazing so it's yeah that's a and you know the thing i people ask me sometimes these sort of new directors kind of come and follow and sort of to see and i said just even if you don't believe you just you're acting okay guys you take the stage yeah. You're everybody, 60 people are looking for you, looking at you for what to do and just take the stage. We're going to do this. We're going to start here in the shot there. And even if inside you're going like that, you just take stage. Yeah. A friend of mine who's a director said this, exactly the same thing. He says sometimes he has absolutely no, no idea, idea no what idea. the hell he's going to do, but he knows it's gonna, meant to happen over there. So it's like, all right, everybody move over there. And he thinks that'll give him enough time, enough time while they're to moving to figure <laughs> totally. out what to do totally. when he gets over there. I do it all the time. I mean, and you know, cause you think, you know, and then you get there and you're like, no, or the actor wants to do something else. And it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like, Let's just read the words once. No acting. Let's just read the words. And all the time they're reading, I'm not even listening. I'm just thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to do? You know? You're buying yourself time. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a form of acting too. So the thing, but also you don't have to know. You just have to know. The more, the better you get at it, the more willing you are to say, I don't know, and to allow, you've hopefully hired creative people and let them collaboration. fill in the spaces. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so where did travel come into your life? Did it start initially as a form of escape from what you were talking about before, where you've just felt like the whole world was looking in on you? I traveled a lot for work, but you know, you're always staying in nice hotels and it's really about work and you know, all that stuff. And so I didn't, hadn't traveled a lot on my own. And I, I was in a bookstore and I picked up a book uh, by a guy named Jack Hitt called Off the Road about, and he had quit his job, settled his apartment and walked along the Camino de Santiago in the north of Spain. And I had never heard of the Camino de Santiago, which is, as you know, you know, this 8th century pilgrim's route that if you walked across it, you got half your time at Purgatory knocked off, which was, that's which a good deal, a good right? Everybody right? Could <laughs> that's do a good that. deal. <laughs> so I, I read that book. For, I don't know why. I had no interest in it. I, I just sort of, I was on a plane. I, I read it. And when, by the time I landed, I was like, I'm doing that. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm doing that. So I called up Jack Hitt because I didn't, this is in the early 90s and there was no internet, you know, and, and you just picked up the phone and called. I, yeah, because I had never heard of the Camino. Like, where do you look up the Camino? There was no such thing as an internet, except for, you know, Al Gore is the only one on the internet, right? <laughs> and so, I, in the back of the book, it said he worked for Harper's Magazine. So I called up Harper's Magazine, and I said, can I talk to Jack Hitt? And they went, yeah, hold on. I went, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, so, and he goes, yeah, hi, Jack Hitt. And I'm like, hey, Jack, um, listen, uh, it's Andy. I read your book. <laughs> and he was like, you read my book, dude? <laughs> and he was thrilled. And so anyway, he told me about how you do it, kind of just basically nothing. You go there and there are yellow arrows painted all across the north of Spain. <laughs> you can follow yellow arrows for 500 miles. You don't need a map. You don't need anything. And um, they're little towns one day apart, which sprung up in the eighth century, went for pilgrims to stop and be taken care of, you know. And anyway, so I went and I did that. And, uh, it was awful. I hated it. I hated every second of it. And then halfway into the walk, I had a, a meltdown. There's these fields of wheat in the middle of Spain, the Jaime you know, and, and so 
I just had a, a, a temp, temper tantrum. I just started weeping and sobbing in the middle of this, and I had no idea why. And my tantrum ended, and I, you know, wiped the snot from my nose and picked up my walking stick and walked on. And the next morning, I woke up and I set out walking again, and I felt like I was forgetting something. I felt like I didn't have something. I had even my backpack, my, you know, all of my stuff. So I just felt different. And an hour later, you know, a couple hours later, I was, took my little morning break by the side of the barn. I'm eating my cheese, my little glass of water, hating being there. And I was, became aware that I was really seeing the colors very distinctly and brightly. And I was hearing acutely and I was like, wow, I'm really awake. I'm really, I'm woke as we say now, you know, I'm really present right now. And then I got this sensation that I realized what it was that I didn't have with me, what I was, uh, what I'd forgotten, what I wasn't carrying that morning was this sense of fear that I'd always inhabited my whole life, that I, it was so a part of my life that I never even knew of its existence until that moment of its first absence, you know, and it was a real Epiphany. awakening. Yeah. And I, I felt like, and then that went back to when I was 15 years old and walking out on stage as the Artful Dodger, it was a, that was the second time in my life I had that feeling of like, oh, there I am, there I am. and. I, you know, that I felt like myself from the toes up again. And it was the same, exact same sensation that I had then. And it was the only other time I'd ever had it. So I like with the acting, I went, I want that. The only thing I've ever had the ability to do in my life is recognize those moments when they go by and grab at them. And how I'm going to do any of that, I don't know how I'm ever going to be an actor, but that's what I'm doing. Wow. And when that moment happened to me by the side of the barn, I went, that, I'm going to keep traveling because I'm doing this by traveling. So I'm going to keep traveling. So I kept traveling. And... Then I eventually started writing stuff down, and then that led to writing for magazines. So you were how old when this happened? That was, you know, I was 30 years old. Wow. So you went I to like no the kid. lowest low, <laughs> you know? and then you... But it wasn't even that low. I mean, I just had a tantrum, you know, the way we do. What's that That ancient Greek or Chinese saying? Something it is solved by walking, you know? And right. I was just walking. I'd walk myself. I'd burned off so much of my... That I finally found, dropped into myself. And what myself was, was terrified. I sobbed and feel like, how am I ever going to get out of here? And then I woke up the next day and it was lifted, you know. So that changed my life. You, you've said just that travel is so much about people. And when you are comfortable with the people that you're around, when you, you, you like the people that you're with, you feel, you feel grounded. You feel like you're at home. And you can find that anywhere. It doesn't have to be a physical home. I'm a pretty loner person. And so I... You know, one of the things that travel writing has given me in my travel is it's helped connect me to people because I could go somewhere and not speak to anybody and still have it for a week and not and have a great time. You know, but I'm being my own head. But travel writing, of course, you need to go out and get quotes. So I need to connect and ask yes. you about stuff. And so it connects me to people. You know, um, I think to a very real degree, travel is about the traveler, you know, and not so much about anything else you know and I feel you know it's been the university of my life traveling so and I've learned about myself to an extraordinary degree by going out of my comfort zone and putting and asking for help from people because that's what you have to do when you're traveling far from home you have to ask for help right and so yes you know and that is a vulnerable making feeling and I think you know vulnerability gets a bad rap I think just go hi can you help me if I go say to you can you help me I can't pretend to be any of that crap that I go through the day with. You can't be, you know, got it, got it. You can't be anything except a person who needs help and you're vulnerable. And then the person goes, yeah, I can help you. And you've met and then you have connection. And of course, if you have that connection, you're with connected to another person, but you're also then connected to yourself. And there you go, right? That's, that's where the gold is.
you, you mentioned that you feel like you're alone or you like where you like to be alone. Where, where did that come from? Why, why do you think, you know, there's a lot of people that are extroverts who get into acting, um, who feel the need to be around people and to feel the need to have to have this constant feedback from other people. Yeah, I hate that. you're like the antithesis <laughs> that. of that, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you don't need that. It seems. I don't want that. You don't um, want that. I don't need it either. To, you know, I certainly like people giving me a table to restaurant, you know, yeah. but I don't like, um, no, but you know, I read a book a number of years ago called quiet, which is about introverts versus extroverts. And I never, you know, cause in our culture, the Western culture, it, everyone should be an extrovert and people who aren't and people who are quote shy or it's like that's something you can just get over mm. it's like like there's some stigma there's something wrong with that and once you become an extrovert you'll then be like the rest of us and that'll be great and you'll be able to fill the room fulfill your life yeah one isn't better than the other it wasn't it's just being an introvert is simply another way of being in the world and it mm. doesn't you know so i'm fairly introverted and i can certainly go out and present you know but uh I have no desire to be an extrovert. And I think it's a weird thing in our culture that extro extroverts are, you know, praised and that's what one should aspire to. Why? Mm. You know, why? Yeah. You know, many wonderful actors are introverts. I mean, Robert De Niro would hate giving an interview, you know, and he's very much like, don't, you know, no eye contact, you know, whatever. He doesn't want to be, you know, then they're the Jack Nicholson's of the world. They're like, yeah, big, more, yeah. more, yeah. you know, and that's fantastic. It's just, you know, certainly not me. Different types. Different. Yeah. I mean, that's, and why not? I love this other quote of yours. It says, I'm a better version of myself when I'm far away. When, when you say far away, you mean far away from just yeah. out of your element? Like, what, what do you mean by that? I think all those things we've been talking about, you just, you get in, I'm more in touch with who I am because I, you know, also travel liberates you. You're far from home. You're just sort of liberated. You can be sort of whoever you want to be, you know? Yeah. Um, and but really, it's sort of like social media in the sense that you can try and pretend to have a persona, but the people that are successful on social media and everyone eventually, they, they, it's just you that comes out. You is what, you know, so when you're far from home and it's just me that comes out and I don't have to, you know, and you're freed up from responsibilities and things at home. Um, I'm, I'm more curious. I'm more open. I'm more you know, everything when I'm away and I'm not, you know, as protected and guarded for some reason. So obviously when you first started traveling it was for yourself it was something yeah, that you totally. wanted to do for yourself when did you decide then well maybe i want to share these travel experiences with other people i was in saigon and i was just traveling around and i was walking down the street one morning i mean it was very i can point to the moment exactly again uh, i had walking down the street and this kid pulled up next to me on the scooter and says hop on i give you a ride i'm like leave me alone you know, teenage kid, you know, 15 or something. And he goes, no, I give you a ride. Like, leave me alone. I give you a ride. And he wouldn't leave. And he was just shadowing me. You know, he would not leave. So I hopped. So he goes, hop on, hop on. And like, I hopped on. And he drove me around Saigon all day. Showed me his Saigon, his How world. amazing is yeah, that? it's fantastic. And Just um, randomly just decided. Well, he wanted $5. So, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, okay. Great. Yeah, I mean, okay. come on. You give me $5, <laughs> I show you Saigon. You know, and so I'm fine. And so he... He showed me, you know, like cool. He showed me where his father had been arrested, like the public garden his mother <laughs> used to do. He, like he's a 15 year old kid, doesn't know anywhere. He doesn't know where he should take me, just knows he wants five dollars. And so he, you know, uh, so he shows me around all day. And I went back up to my hotel room that night. And for some reason, I just took out a piece of hotel stationery and I wrote it down. I just wrote down what happened. I wrote down, you know, I'm an actor. I said so much bad dialogue. I know good dialogue when I hear it. So I wrote down the cool things that were said, the exchanges we made. Anyway, I wrote down that story. And when I finished writing that down, 
I had the same feeling I had by the side of the barn that I had when I was 15. I just went, oh, there I am. I'd never written anything in my life. I'd never written anything. Was I, it scary? Because for a lot of people, a lot of people want to be writers. There are a lot of people who are want to be writers. And then it's that scary process of then exposing yourself by putting it down on a piece of paper. It's there. It's in black and white. We, we, did it frighten you at all or did it just sort of flow out of you? Uh, well, I'd been already exposed myself so much to the world on a much more public yes. level than that. By doing it alone in private first, yeah, felt I'd, I'm used to exposing myself, yeah, my my inner life. So that was no. But the process of writing and someone reading it and critiquing. Well, it, you that... always like you know you have to make it worthwhile for a stranger to invest their time in you. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to be revealing and truthful, then there's no you can't ask them to invest their time in you. So. Like what well, you play tricks on yourself, though. I mean, I, I'd be writing something and I would write, well, my really personal stuff. And I go, well, this is never going to be in the book. I mean, there's no way I'm putting this in. There's, there's no way this is ever going to be. Well, I'll just keep finishing, but there's no way I'm ever going to put this in. And then, of course, you read and you go, well, that's the whole heart of the whole thing. And if mm -hmm. you don't have that, nothing else matters. So it's but, like acting in the sense that you really are opening yourself well, up. Of course. Like you just let it all well, you have to expose the whole thing. But you need to, yeah, meet yeah. the people that way so that they can meet you, so that they can nod their heads and go, yeah, I identify I that. with that. And then you have a connection, the same way you have a connection when you're traveling to meet. It's all about that connection, right? So if you don't create, if you don't make yourself available for the connection, if you don't go, can you help me? They can't help you. So if you don't go, here I am, they can go, oh, I'm that way too. Right. And then you have connection and go, I love this. I never want to go where he's going, but I like being with him when he goes because that's like me, me. I feel like that way too. So, right? So that's what's... I mean, I intuitively knew that because I'd already been doing that my whole life, acting. So this was the third time in your life then? Yeah. Big that pivotal I felt moment, like, like wow, I've, I'm back on the stage again. I'm, I'm, I'm just me. There I am. Yeah. You know, that moment. Yeah. And so I then, again, because the only gift I have is to be able to recognize those moments. I recognize it and then pursued that. I love I mean, that. I kept traveling and kept writing for about eight or nine years before I showed it to anybody. I would oh, write you wrote stories. that long before? Yeah, yeah. I would really? just go and I'd travel like little notebooks and I'd throw them in a drawer, throw them, come home, throw them in a drawer, throw them in a drawer until finally one day I said, I'm going to try and do this. Yeah, so, and then I ended up publishing a bunch of those stories later when they, I go, yeah, I have a story in Saigon. You know, I was I, in Saigon once and, you know, and publishing uh, them. But, uh, but yeah, I did it for a number of, before I had enough confidence to sort of feel like I... I'm okay with this. And when was the point where you thought, okay, I want to share these stories and have these out there publicly? You know, I, I met a, a guy uh, named Keith Bellows, who's an editor at National Geographic Traveler magazine. He's, he's died, but he was an amazing guy. And uh, he, I met him. Mm -hmm. I sought him out. I knew somebody who knew him. And I said, will you introduce me to him? Will he have a drink with me? And so I did. And I said, you ought to let me write for your magazine, dude. And he said, uh, you're an actor, dude. And I said, yeah, but I can tell a story. That's what I do. And he thought that was a good answer. So it took me about a year to let him get him to, you know, let me do it. So I finally said, look, if it doesn't work, you don't have to pay me. And he said, well, I can live with that. And so I went and I did a story and it was successful. And then I did more and more and it naturally grew. And then I won the award out. And the minute you win the award, as you know, then you're an expert. So, you know. I, I'm interested to know what else is out there that you... Like, what pulls you to a story? You just came back from Budapest. I know you were scouting for a film, right? But what takes you to a place? Is it is it reading, researching? I don't know. I mean, story takes me to a place. When I, you know, we were talking about tea earlier, but that story started with, I, I proposed to Keith. I said, Keith, what if I do a story looking for the best cup of tea in China? Oh, and he go. said, well, that's, that's a good story, but I just did China in the magazine. I went, okay, 
what if I go looking for the best cup of tea in Darjeeling, India? And he went, go do it. You know what I mean? So it's always story. It's not location. Yeah. It's always story. Um, you know, I, I did a story about Tahiti, which I tell. And um, my wife wanted to go to Tahiti on vacation. And but I can't call up Keith and go, Keith, my wife wants to go to Tahiti, you know, and he go, Andy, great story. Bring, you know, <laughs> so I go on the internet and in five minutes, you can discover that 95% of the world's black pearls are farmed in Tahiti. So I go, so then my mother was having a birthday around the time I called her up and I said, mom, do you like pearls? She said, yeah, pearls are lovely, dear. So I called Keith and I go, you know, Keith, my mother has a big birthday coming up. And when I asked what she wanted, she got a far away look in her eye and she said, you know, I, I remember once seeing a single black pearl hanging from a strand, Andrew, dear. I've never forgotten it. You know, so good son that I am, Keith, I'm not going to go to Tiffany. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly halfway around the world to the remote Tumoto Archipelago. I'm going to find a pearl farmer who's going to let me dive down 10 meters under the sea, yank the oyster from the bed bring it up on the beach, slice that sucker open and pluck my mother's pearl dripping wet from the sea and bring it on home. And he can't get me on the plane fast enough to write that story, you know? So my wife gets her, her vacation. The magazine gets a story. My mother gets a pearl, which I've never seen her wear, you know? And, you know, so it's all story-based, Yeah, you know? Well, just that in itself is a great story. Yeah, no, it's Before good. Before you it, even it, got on the plane. But that's one of those things I all, you know, there's certain magazines where you just go, Tahiti, and they go, great. Bring it back. And you love working for those magazines. Then you show up in Tahiti and you go, what am I going to write gonna about? Yeah, Whereas what's the like story? with Nat Geo, it's always like, what's the story? And so I knew before I got on that plane, I had made contact with a pearl farmer who yeah. was going to let me do that. Because, you know, if you write a quest story, unless you're writing a book like, you know, the Snow Leopard or something, you better find your quest um, for magazine stories. Anyway, so uh, anyway, I knew that I, I knew the end before I started. Yeah. You know, that Bob Dylan line, I know my song before I start singing, yes. you know, often that's the case. Not always, but often, you know, I like that. Yeah, I, I've, I've always gravitated towards trying to do things like that. Like we, we did a, a film about retracing the 1928 Tour de France. And it's a combination of wanting to spend time with my parents who came on the road trip with us while we were shooting, uh, going around France, which we love in the summer, riding a bicycle, shooting a film. Perfect. Uh, spending <laughs> time together, having fun. Yeah. It's sort of like if you can tick off a whole lot of yeah. things and, you know, tick off a bunch of boxes and everybody wins. Yeah, that's uh, great. This this book of yours it came out in, in 2012. Um, oh, The Longest Way Home, that book. Longest, yeah. yeah, The Longest Way Home. Uh, Financial Times said it was one of the best books of the year. So clearly uh, a beautiful uh, book. I'll be totally honest with you. I have not read the book, um, but we've ordered it. And we want to read it. Uh, <laughs> It, th this is really the story of, I guess, of finding yourself. Is that how you would describe it? It's the, it's it's travel memoir. It's really a story about how we. Um, I was getting married, and uh, I'd been engaged to my now wife for years, and like was. Were you one of those guys I, that just kept letting it go on and on, and people would be like, "When are you guys getting married?" Yeah, until yeah. they stop asking. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, on the surface, it was about commitment, but really, I was committed. We had children, we had a life. I wasn't going anywhere, but it was how do we, that inherent problem of how do we keep our individuality and our singularity and yet be in community and being, you know, how do we do both? Yeah. And that it's impossible, and yet we do it anyway because it's the only game in town. And, you know, like I said earlier, by traveling is how I sort of found myself. And so I still had issues to sort of deal with about getting married. So I just, by, I went as far away from you as I could get so that I could come home to you. So that's really what the book is about. And your, your then girlfriend, now wife, very understanding. She, I mean, she'd sort of... 
In the book, she's wonderfully tolerant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> In real life. She's mostly very tolerant. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> when are you coming home? Um, no, it's more like, don't bother coming home. <laughs> and so you went away, and how long did it take for you to... Oh, well, I mean, honestly, these were also stories I was doing for magazines. You know, yeah. I would go and come back, go and come back. So they were all just assignments. But it was interesting that the minute we decided, it grew out of the minute we decided to get married, we're doing it now, we're going to get married in this time, I then booked myself up being oblivious compartmentalizing my life i booked myself up with six months worth of stories that would keep me away from home and, she, and so well, my wife of course then goes you realized we decided finally decided to get married and you're doing everything you can to get away right and then i went oh i hadn't noticed that's true yeah you're right you're right maybe about there's that. a book in there you know is she into travel yeah yeah my wife's a great traveler yeah and so uh, you know but like any like uh it's at the joan Didion line you find out what you're thinking by writing about it you know i really I learned a lot about intimacy and my skittishness and things by writing that book. Yeah, it was very illuminating for me. Your kids, you've got three kids. Are they, are they also into travel? Do they yeah, like I mean, I think that's one of the great gifts we give our kids, right? Is creating little citizens of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I said, my wife's from Ireland, so we go back. We have a home in Ireland. We go back and forth all the time. And, you know, we just were in Austria last week skiing. I think, you know, kids traveling with kids is amazing, right? It's the essence of sort of optimism and action is traveling with kids because you're going to the world and saying receive us you couldn't be more vulnerable than when you know mm. i remember i took my son to the sahara years ago when he was like eight who was doing a story and How incredible for an eight-year-old yeah it was amazing and people yeah. said are you crazy you're taking some muslim country and you're going to the sahara desert were you out of your mind you know yeah. it was an amazing experience he had an incredible time well that, that does just bring up that this whole idea of fear of travel and so many americans who are scared of of travel and it, one of the reasons that i love working on amazing race is that we've been able to show people that it is yeah, it's safe one of the great to travel. things about that show is that it's just you know the world is a wide friendly place yeah you where know, does the fear come from well what? we're told taught fear well fear comes i don't know where fear comes but fear encroaches on all of us all the time it's like yeah. water it's always seeping it's like sand and, it, and when you live by the beach it's always you got to keep sweeping it out all the time you do yeah. once it doesn't get rid of it it keeps keeping back you know fear and you know and, and politicians play on our fear all the time so you know for their own agendas so and that's it you know, my soapbox is that I'm American. I'm proud to be American. I wouldn't want to be anything but American, but America's an extraordinarily fearful place. We make many of our decisions based in fear. And if more Americans, what's it, 41% of Americans have passports now? I yeah. think half of us have ever used them. If more Americans left home, got on a plane and went somewhere, they would realize the world isn't as dangerous and horrible and out to get us as we're told it is. They'd come back changed by that. And they would change their two people, who would change those two people, and you know, they would change the world one trip at a time. But Americans are really fearful. And that would all, you know, I, I where travel is the last best hope for the world. Yeah. The politicians are not gonna do it, right? I mean, like your show does more for that than anything because it's like go out there oh my god it's a wide wondrous place and you can experience that wonder in the world and not it's not a place to recoil from and buck up against and keep them out and all that. That's insane. That that doesn't make any sense in the world. It's yeah. never the way, way the world is. It's just insane. I, I always say to people, the, the biggest challenge we face is that if it bleeds, it leads. And so when, every, when anything wrong is happening around the world, it gets on the news. And so the majority of people, when they see the rest of the world, something bad is happening. And we're one of the yeah, few platforms right. in that's prime right. time where we can say, well, here's something positive that's happening in a country. And I get people stopping me and they said, did those Muslim people really help the teams when they were racing, I'm like, yeah, why are you surprised by that? Because they only know, they only associate Muslims with bad things. That's what they know. 
And I uh, that Mark yeah, I Twain didn't. quote. Yeah, that travels fatal famous, to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. I mean, that's stops. Stop right there. We're done. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, talk it's about. I mean, that says it. And, says it. and totally. the other thing that's surprising is how many people think that America, which is a safe country, is the safest country in the world. They can't quite ridiculous. believe that it's not the safest country in the world. That's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, sorry, look at all the, all, I mean, all the statistics to show all the gun killings we have from, from Americans killing Americans with guns is so many more than terrorists have killed, you know, at all that. That's a ridiculous notion. And with you travel know. comes acceptance and with acceptance... Uh, it just opens up our eyes to difference, and then rather and celebrating difference rather than uh, criticizing difference. You know, but like the, it's it, okay. <laughs> difference is all just sort of transitory. I mean, I was doing a story in in Jordan about uh, Petra, and but it became a story about I got a flat tire, and it was Eid, right? Which is the second most holy day in the Islamic calendar. It's like Easter, I guess, or something. And so I got a flat tire. I had nothing. And so this mechanic came out dressed in his full white from head to toe, starched white. He was at his family, you know, feast. He came out, left his family feast. And so imagine a mechanic in America leaving Easter dinner to go out and help some Muslim um, change the tire. And this guy got all greasy, got all over everything, and he invited me back to his house to finish his feast with him. I mean, that's just their cultures take care of strangers. That's such embedded in their culture yeah. is to take to help the stranger and things. So, you know, and that's what my story became about. And just that notion that where do we, you know, it's obvious where we get this idea, but this idea is generally very nothing to do with reality. I, I say to people a lot of times the best travel ad adventures that I've had are where things have gone wrong. Oh, sure. You, <laughs> you the, minute, the, minute something, the minute I got a flat tire, I went, thank God I've got a story now. Otherwise, it was just going to be a bunch of old buildings in the desert. But you didn't know it was going to play out as well as it no, did. No, no, it was even better. It's like at yeah. a central casting. But um, but yeah, yeah, you wait for something to go wrong. It's like sure. you got all the writers in and you went, yeah. all right, how do we make this really <laughs> yeah. work? What's the dramatic turn What's here? The, the Kurt Vonnegut thing, get your hero up a tree and throw rocks at him. I mean, you know, you want bad stuff to happen. Yeah. This is another great quote of yours. You said, uh, I've, I've found loneliness on the road to be expansive, opening of self, whereas loneliness at home can feel like deprivation. God, that is good. Isn't that good? <laughs> Jesus, you, you, you're right up there with Mark Twain. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, I think that's very true. So you true. know, because it, it opens up, it, be, it bellies out, and you just sort of drop into yourself. There's nowhere to go with that one except to sort of be in it. And I think people don't travel alone. I'm a big believer in solo travel, and people don't travel alone because they're afraid of physical safety or loneliness. Mm. Very strongly loneliness, and they blame it on physical safety. But, you know, I, I, you know, I always say I'm nowhere to tell a woman where they're going to go feel safe, but they'd probably be just as safe walking down the streets of most cities in the world as they are walking down the streets of New York or Dallas, Texas, or wherever, you know. So, uh, I I'm not a I don't buy any of it. You know I don't don't I'm not a danger junkie. I don't go into funky places and I don't you know. But uh, and loneliness is look we're lonely we're alone a lot. People make terrible decisions to avoid loneliness in their lives. Terrible decisions, and I you know come to terms with being with yourself. Then you don't make those decisions as you know and harm your. Then you're bringing other people into your crap too by making bad decisions because you're afraid of loneliness. Then you've got a, a situation with someone and. You mess people up. I think one of the things we share too is a passion for being immersive in the culture and the place and 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 embracing being out of your element as opposed to, oh, well, we're going to go to a foreign country, but we're going to essentially be in an environment that replicates where we've just come from. You know, like people just go to a hotel and they check yeah, in. Sure. 
and they don't leave the compound. And it's sort of like, well, the only difference is you're sucking air that's in a different country, but really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I mean, I, I, you go, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that says it all. Of course, it's ludicrous, and yet that's what, that's what we do all the time. And I, I, I believe to travel closer to the ground, as close to the ground as you can travel, the better. You know, I'll often give myself a soft landing if I'm going halfway around the world. First night, I'll stay in a nice hotel so I know they'll receive me. I got a good bed. And then I don't have a reservation beyond that. And I get out of there because, you know, all I'm going to get is the concierge is going to tell me where to go. And that's just, yeah. the, you know, I, there's no, the closer to the ground I travel, the better experience I have without question. Which is one of the reasons that I love working when I travel because it forces me to be with people who are local. And so they invite me into their home. I go to their local coffee shop. I'm... I'm essentially a part of their world yeah. as opposed to even being a, a tourist. So people say, well, don't you want to just travel on your, you know, and I go, well, I do like that, but I also, I just love working. Like I remember working with some guys in Egypt at the foot of the Sphinx uh, who were running the jib while we were shooting Amazing Race and they ordered Pizza Hut. <laughs> at the foot of the Sphinx. And, and you look off and you see the pyramids and I'm like, you guys eat Pizza Hut? He was like, yeah, of course we do. We love Pizza Hut. And here comes the bike messenger across the desert. <laughs> we were like, we were fighting so hard to like, hey, what, you know, what do we have? What's local? Yeah. What do we have? And the guy's like, the pepperoni. well, we love Pizza Hut. <laughs> like, Pizza Hut? You've got to be kidding me. Uh, man. I, people worry about bad things happening to them. What advice do you give people who are maybe wanting to stretch themselves just a little bit. Maybe they're not as adventurous as you and can go to the middle of the Sahara. But what's a first, what's, what's a first step that somebody could make who maybe has never really stretched themselves traveling? Start somewhere where they speak English mm. and go to Ireland. Ireland's one of those great places that it's exactly, it meets your preconceptions in your mind exactly. You know, and they're incredibly friendly. All you have to do is walk in and go, hi, uh, where's, and suddenly you're in a relationship. You know, they love to chat and love strangers. I just go, you know, just go. It doesn't matter where you go, just start. Yeah. It's getting, it's going somewhere. The minute I, I off, I fall into it too. It's like, oh, I don't want to go there. What a has, blah, blah, but it's really fear. And the minute I get there, I go, oh, that wasn't so hard. Yeah. I'm a little jet lagged. I'm a little, got a headache, but you know, I'm good. But, you know, just go anywhere. Yeah. The, the other thing that people use as an excuse for not travel is they talk about the fact that they just can't afford to travel. Yeah, it's a bunch of crap, isn't it? I mean, you yeah, know. So just explain and that. Then that. But that goes back to what we're saying is like you tr the closer to the ground you travel, the better experience you're going to have. Right. You know, I did a story for a magazine about staying in a five-star hotel and then staying in the, uh, you know, the cheapest little thing I could imagine. And, you know, on, the, on day three when I was in this really cheap place, they gave me a new towel. And I was like, oh, I got a fresh towel. That was really nice. Thank you so much. I went and checked into the five-star hotel and I, had, I drank my green tea the first day and my private butler hadn't restocked it on the second day. And I went, where's my, where's my green tea? <laughs> I was like, in this quick, you know, I had become that horrible version of myself. Whereas like the day before I was like, oh, a new fresh towel. Thank you so much. But <laughs> now I'm like, I'm more yelling at my butler for my green tea, you know? So. I, you know, I'm a better, like we've been saying, I'm a better version when I travel the way, and it's just cheaper. You can find, it's just nonsense that, yeah. you, you know, you can certainly find, especially in this day and age on the internet, you can find things cheap and in advance, and you can travel very, very cheaply. And, and there are great ways. I, I, I try to encourage people to, to work and travel, like get yourself a skill so you can teach somebody how to scuba dive. 
and then you can travel to a place and just you know move around and get paddock certification and do something like that or oh that's great yeah see i have no skills so i just have yeah. to kind of fake it but, no, school, okay. but, but in a way you've done the same thing you've found a way to to travel and then you've got a job you can no, take I mean, your wife on a vacation job, and get your yeah. mother a pearl i mean yeah you've found a way to yeah like i never go anywhere now without writing about it so i'm always on a busman's holiday even if i'm not on assignment i'm eventually going oh this is good can you tell us andrew about your your first novel uh and and you start you, your first writing was obviously nonfiction, your own experiences and then you go into writing a novel it's a a big shift and i'm wondering where that motivation came from i was on a television show and then uh they they there was a, a strike or something and Suddenly I had to sit, or no, one of the people was pregnant, and we, so we shut down. Suddenly I had six weeks where I was doing nothing, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? So I, had an idea, I suddenly had an idea, I started writing it down, and I, 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 over the next six or seven years I wrote a novel that never quite worked, you know, um, and I could never crack it, but I had hundreds and hundreds of pages anyway, and, I, and so while I was doing other things I'd written, then I went and wrote the other travel book in the meantime, and I was doing directing and travel writing, but I'd always had, I'd been in the back sort of, writing this I had this idea and then one day I was sitting on a plane and uh I realized I just one of the characters I always liked and I suddenly shifted and I started telling everything from her point of view and so I just started writing that 15 year old girl yeah 15 year old girl and so again it was was that same feeling of like oh there's the book there's the book there I am there's the book who knew my muse was a sort of 15 year old girl but I mean that, that was I found me in that book in that character so um you know, I discarded the hundreds and hundreds of pages I'd had for this other book and just started it all over again from her point of view. But it, it just goes to, and it came out in like five months. But it's it just, nothing is wasted. You know yeah. what I mean? And you don't know where things are going to lead. And that'll lead to that, which leads to that, which leads to that, which leads finally to the good idea. Rarely do you just start. Rarely do I ever start. At, there's the idea. It takes whatever it takes to get there. So I, I, it was just an idea I had and I wrote it and finally, and I really wanted it to have a life. And so I kept at it till I found a way to, give it a life and the name of that book that's called just fly away just fly away yeah it's about a girl who finds out she has a a a brother that she never knew about from an affair her father had so what's what's next where's the next trip have you got anything booked i mean we're here in dallas we're both speaking at the travel and adventure show we both share a love of, of of travel so you've just come from budapest here in Dallas, and then I'm doing. Uh, I'm producing, directing a TV show up in Toronto, so I go back there tomorrow and keep doing that for the next four months. Oh, so I'll be in Toronto. So I'm not traveling anywhere, unfortunately, except oh, Toronto. Wow. Do you get like do you start chomping at the bit when you a bit, yeah, yeah. a bit. <laughs> but it's a nice, I, you know, I, it's, it exercises different muscles. I like it, but it does start to feel like wow. I look at the cow and I go, that's a long time for me. You know, I, I've had. You know, I've had hundreds of jobs in my life, literally. So, uh, which is weird and good and bad, you know? Yeah. Because there's always the first day of school, every job. Yeah. And it's just like ugh, anxiety. And so, but anyway, so I'm doing that for the next, till September, yeah. What, what I like about the choices that you've made is that you really have listened to your heart ultimately. You really... Well, yeah, I just, I've, I managed to figure out how to make a living by doing what excites me. Well, this, this podcast is, is called Bucket. Ticket Before You Kick It is the byline. And, and really the idea is just, we're just trying to motivate people to do what you've done. We'd listen to your heart and, and go after the things that you feel are most important to you. And I speak to so many people who are, are not and I, or are not doing the things they want to do. And I just said, look, life is a gift. You've got one shot. Just go for it. 
you know, I just know, see where I... it takes you. You didn't know that all the little paths that you followed were going to lead to yeah and you places. don't have to do quantum leaps you know you can it can start incrementally a little thing i had no idea doing a play at 15 would lead to a life of acting no idea writing down a little story in saigon would lead to a life of being a travel writer which would lead to books which you have no idea it's not like you have to get know where the end is you know we just or that you'd be, be in the middle of a wheat field right sobbing, like, sobbing, like an idiot you know? <laughs> so yeah i mean but it, again, it's always fear that stops us. And, fear, and I just don't want to be a person. I'm terrified of flying. I'm a travel writer who's traveling all the time who's terrified of flying. I just made a decision that my fear is not going to stop me. How from do leaving. you deal with that? Because I that just, is... Really? <sighs> pray. And just sort of, it's okay. You know, I... I and I imagine myself already there. I imagine I'm already there. So I've already... I buy, but, you know, it doesn't matter. Fear is just fear. And it doesn't... I just, I just decided fear is not going to stop my life. Yeah. And... It's You're going to push past it. Andrew, what is it that, what is the most valuable lesson you think you can teach your kids? You've got three kids, you said. What, what's the one thing you want to instill in them? Yeah, just what we've been talking about. I mean, I was talking to my son this morning. He did something dumb last night, and he was telling me about it, which luckily we have open communication. He's 17, so he's going to, he's trying, trying stuff out in life. And I just said, look, I'm not going to be there, or whoever is not going to be there to God. You just, you have an inner guidance system learn to recognize it and listen to it and realize then we're going to mess up and, so, and then because i'm not there to push you i can't take care of it i can't whatever i just listen that to me that is the most important thing i can give you and, and know that i'm right here there's a backstop behind you i'll be right there behind you but go go forth That's you know great advice go forth and then we'll turn around i'm right here yeah but go for but yeah i think that that list, cultivating and listening to that inner thing is all we have and let our kids stumble. Let them fall over. Let well, them I make mean, their mistakes. We can't totally. Protect I mean, I look them. back at seventeen. I see the things I yeah. did. I mean, I mean, being a teenager or whatever. Now in the world that we live in, which is all the. Thank God there was no video and there was no Instagramming. So impulse. I mean, look at grownups with impulse yeah. control and sexting and saying this. It's like, I mean, come on, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, thank God most of that didn't exist when I was because. <laughs> be in yeah. a lot of trouble that's another podcast <laughs> that's another whole thing another the x-rated version of all the things no, it's we just, did everybody does stupid things and you I learn know. from stupid things and so but you, you know do you want them to ruin your life you yeah know? exactly Andrew there's a couple of questions that I, I, I end with uh, in the podcast and the first question is if you were going to take a, a, a road trip and, and you could take anybody in the, the car with you or you're going to drive across the country uh, and you could take anybody from any time um, any time in history, three people that you would oh take. Oh my God! With you. Uh, I suppose I'd take Jesus. I'd like he's got some explaining to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, maybe uh, Mark Twain's would be entertained along the way. Good storytelling, and uh, I don't know. Paul Theroux changed my life. His travel books, you know, they really inspired me. So maybe we'll throw him in there too. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a great carful. Yeah, I don't know. I like that. Who's driving the car, by the way? Oh, well, that would be the whole power struggle, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I figured Jesus should probably have control. Does he have you? a license? I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm sure he can handle it. He knows everything, I guess. Um, and, and then your last day on earth. I mean, if you, if you knew it was coming and you, you had to... Like, well, the first just... thing that popped into my head when you just started that sentence was the, the Kiawakapu Beach on Maui. Yeah. It's a place where I feel, I feel you know, when I went, it used to go a lot. And I used to have live on Maui for a brief period, and it just feels safe. It just feels beautiful. 
And so I've always scattered my ashes on Kiowakapu Beach on Maui. So maybe that's where I'd be. Well, Andrew, I know you're speaking to a, about a thousand people in a couple of minutes. Let's see if anyone shows up. <laughs> <laughs> of course they will with you all your know. incredible stories. Yeah. Uh, looking, it's a real pleasure talking to you. Thank really you. appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and your books, let's just name those again. Uh, just Fly Away is the novel and uh, Longest Way Home is the travel memoir. And that one I'm looking forward to reading. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Kogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us and follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an IT, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter at Phil Kogan. See you soon.